And so today, as we start off uh, this kind of this of our series on Easter, there's, there's one thing in that video that I caught that didn't quite sit right with me for the first couple times that I saw it. And the first time, it's, wow, this emotional impact. Then as I listen to the words, it kind of sounds like Morgan Freeman, doesn't it? Only it's, it's a little bit different. It's not quite him. There was something he said that kind of rubbed me the wrong way at first. He, he's basically saying the kind of joy and the excitement that people had long ago when Easter first happened, the kind of joy they had should be the same kind of joy we have. Should be. And that word should just bothered me for a while. I, I thought, can't we soften it a, a little bit? Can we just say we're invited to have the same joy? Or we can have the same joy? Or is there a way to soften that a little bit? But then I got to thinking, Matt, Matt, Matt. <laughs> If Jesus died for me, and if he came back to life, should there not be some excitement inside of me? Yes, there should be. The problem is when there isn't. And I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to say, oh, I'll give myself an out that I can you know, feel less than, than joy or excitement. There should be a joy in me. And what I'm excited about today is that we really get to take that apart a little bit. You know, how is that joy going to be re- rekindled inside of us? And, and the way we're going to do that is by looking at, at what's something that happened to the Apostle Peter. First of all, the way this message came out first, he is risen. It didn't come out through text messages. Duh. Or it didn't come out through blogs. It didn't come out through internet. It didn't come out through newspapers even. You know, how, how did the news come out? Talk. People shared. People said, hey, have you heard what happened? And as they shared this message, something interesting takes place. You should read the book of Acts, at least the first few chapters this week. Whenever they started preaching that Jesus had been raised from the dead, it was not just this, hey, just wanted to make sure you heard, Jesus rose from the dead, okay, go out to the next person. It wasn't just this informational thing to get people to know what happened. The whole thing about the Easter story and the Easter narrative is that when it was told, it was told for, from a transformational standpoint. Not informational, but transformational. That's our, our first fill-in for today. That when you look at it, it wasn't just a sort of the, hey, Here's a philosophy to live by, or here's just something to to know. It was, here's something that will change your life down to its core. And maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I wish I had that. Some days I don't. Some days I, maybe there's that song that just gets you in the moment and you're like, oh yeah, it's awesome. But, but then there's also the, the vast majority of your life where that excitement is gone. The, the newness of, the, of what happened is, isn't there anymore. So we're going to look at this guy named, named Peter. And here's what you're going to find. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that you and Pete have a lot of things in common. That he also struggled with this thing where he didn't feel that excited. He wasn't too sure of himself. And, and there was this transformation that happened as, as the truth of the resurrection sunk into his heart. And here's what you're going to find that the resurrection has the power to do the same thing to you. As as we'll see in him, it has the power to transform your life, it has the power to transform your death, and everything in between. Now, before we start the story of Peter, I'll just uh, share with you real quickly, the story is the very, very, very last story that John records in his biography of Jesus. 
John sat down to write down this thing, and the very last chapter, the very last thing he writes about is this story of something that happens to Peter. So what that tells you is this is an important thing, that the story of Jesus isn't finished until John tells this story. Then he can say amen and, and put his pen down. But the story is also very weird. Maybe you've heard that phrase, stranger than fiction. This is something that you can't just make up, and, and you'll see why in a second. Uh, first of all, I'll set the stage for you a little bit. Here in John chapter 21, this is a week or two weeks or three weeks. We're not quite sure. It, it's, it's a certain amount of time after Jesus' resurrection. What we do know is this, this is the third time that the apostles saw him. And here's how it happened. Peter wakes up one day early in the morning and he says, Guys, I'm going to go fishing. And six of the other apostles who had followed Jesus, they said, All right, we'll go with you. This, is my ver- this isn't in the Bible. This is my version, by the way. And they say, all right, we'll go with you. And so seven of them go out, and, and they're out all night, all morning long. They're, they're fishing. They, they don't catch a single, single thing. And these are professional fishermen. They know what they're doing. All of a sudden, as, as morning comes and the light is starting to get light out, there's this guy on shore, Jesus. And he shouts out to them, have you caught anything yet? No. <laughs> and he says, put your net on the other side of the boat. This, this would make no sense to... Uh, a fisherman changing from one side to the other absolutely has no impact, but they did it anyway because it's, it's Jesus. You know, you do what he says. So they put the net on the other side, and, and it says they caught such a large number of fish, it was unheard of. In fact, by the time they got to shore, and as they got to shore, they put all the fish out, they said, we have to record this. They counted each and every one of them. There were 153 slimy, floppy fish. 153 in that catch. And then comes the real interesting part. Jesus takes some of the fish and he takes some bread. You know, he's cooking the fish over a fire and he says, all right guys, let's sit down and have some breakfast. He can't make that up. This is just a, a story that could only be true. So Jesus is sitting down to breakfast and then what happens between Jesus and Peter is completely awkward. What, what P- Jesus is basically going to do with Peter is he's going to have that phrase come out that, that every person in a relationship dreads to hear. Uh, in a way, he's going to ask, or he's going to say to Peter, we need to talk. Okay. Yeah, don't want to hear that. Uh, but basically, this is a completely awkward thing. And I'll tell you why it's awkward in just a second. But first of all, I wanted to get out just this first verse here that we're going to look at in, in John chapter 21, verse 15, because there's two really important words that I want to make sure we focus on, first of all. Um, so they had just finished eating breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly, truly love me? And John goes on, to, or Peter goes on to respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I love you. And here's something that you're not going to really see in your English Bible, but they're trying to reflect it here in the NIV. They do something that never happens anywhere else. What they're doing here, they add a word that wasn't in there. The word truly, you're not going to find that in the Greek because here's what they're doing. They're reflecting that the, the way Jesus said the word love and the word Peter said the word love. They're two different words. I'll give this disclaimer. You're about to get really sick of these two Greek words, but it's, it's important. It's going to serve a purpose here as we look at the way it affects Peter. Here's what Jesus said. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? The Greek word is agape. You've maybe heard that word before, the agape. Do you love me? I'll explain what agape means in a second. Then when, when Peter responds, he said, yes, Lord, I love you. 
The word he used is philia. He changed the word. Do you agape love me? Yes, I philia love you. Well, that's not what I was asking. Do you love me? But they're reflecting this difference here. And, and I was, this is so important. I was trying to think, how can I boil this down to the barest essential so that you can see the difference between these two words? And this is, if you're taking notes, this is the second fill-in for today. So the philia word, that, that word for love implies family. It implies a relationship. The agape word for love, that implies action. Here's what I mean by that. The philia word, it implies that the reason I love you is because we're family. There's a relationship. You don't have to do anything for my love because it's just who we are. Life has brought us together. We're in a group. We're family. I, philia, love you means we're together. The agape word for love, it, it doesn't, it's not a feeling. It's not a relationship status. It's an action. If you say to someone, I love, I agape love you, it means I'm going to do anything for you. And you can see this distinction throughout the New Testament as, as you look at the way these two words are being used. I told you, you're going to be sick of these words in a second, but it serves a good purpose. Um, in fact, as you flip back in John's gospel, just to see how he uses these two words and to see how they're different, uh, he uses these two words in his account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In, in John chapter 11, he describes it this way, that Mary and Martha were going out to tell Jesus, you know, that Lazarus is sick and that he's about to die. And this is how they described it. Mary and Martha, the sisters, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, Philia, the one you love, the one that you have this relationship with. Lazarus didn't do anything for you. It's just a relationship that you have. It's this loving relationship. The one you love is sick. And then it happens again after Jesus finally gets there. You know, four days later, um, Jesus recognized what happened. It says, verse 35, Jesus wept. And then here's the interesting part. Then the Jews who were watching, they pointed at Jesus and they said, see how he loved him. See how close Jesus and Lazarus were in this relationship, in this family kind of love. And it broke Jesus' heart. Now, here's the other side of it. John chapter 11 and verse 5, it also uses the other word for love. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In other words, Jesus was so often moved to action for them. He would do anything for them. But here's a contradiction. Even though he loved them like that, verse 6, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. Despite the normal way of how he loved them in action, Jesus decided to stay. So here's just a quick example of how these two words can be seen differently, even though it doesn't usually get reflected in the English translation. And All right, what's the point? You're getting sick of this. It, it serves a good point because here's what happens. Let me ask you this question first. What kind of love do you have for God? Would you say to God, I love you, Philia love you, I love you that way in the sense that we are, there's a relationship between us no matter what happens, you know, through thick and thin we're together? Is that the kind of love you say you have with God? Or when you say I love you, God, is it more of the agape love where you say I'll do anything for you kind of love? And you're saying, Matt, this is a trick question. It is, kind of. It's a question to get you thinking. And I'm sure a lot of us would have different answers to that question in different ways you know what kind of love do you have for God but no matter what answer you come up with what kind of love you have for God 
the Easter story transforms it. It gets you to think about love in a different way. And here's the, the huge transformation that happened with Peter, and it's a transformation that happens for you and for me too. It, it starts off in John chapter 13, John 13. And in this section, this is where Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room the night before he died, and he's about to have the Passover meal with them. In John 13, you should read that chapter, it's awesome. It starts off with this interesting phrase. It says, Jesus, who had loved his own, love, agape love, was about to demonstrate the extent of his love. Again, the word agape in Greek, his agape love for them. He was about to show them his love in action. And so what does he do in the, in the upper room? He takes that towel, puts it around his waist, gets down on the ground, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. That's love in action. That's not a feeling. That's not just a relationship. That's action that he showed them. You remember what Peter did? <laughs> Jesus is going around washing feet and Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet too, are you? And here's where I picture Jesus. If he ever rolled his eyes, this is where he did it. Oh, Peter, you're going to do this again. Peter, you're not going to understand this. Just let me do it. So Peter flew off the, the handle the other way. He's like, all right, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. You know, that's how awesome I am. You can wash all of me. Rolling his eyes again. Peter, knock it off. Just let me wash your feet. Here comes the interesting part, the important part. When Jesus said, let me wash you, he said this. He said, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, Jesus was setting out a standard here. If you don't let me show you love, if you don't let me act on my love for you, then you have no love with me. And Peter didn't, didn't get it. <laughs> when we know he didn't get it because towards the end of the meal, Jesus said, you know, one of you is going to betray me. And he said, all, he said, to tell you the truth, all of you are going to abandon me. And so what did Peter do? Made Jesus roll his eyes a third time. Peter, I, I, I always picture him with a British accent for some reason, but Peter stands up, I will never betray you. You know, he stands up with this superhuman voice and he's like, I will never leave you. I'll never do anything. I will follow you to prison. I'll follow you to suffering. I'll follow you no matter where you go. I'll even follow you to death. I will never, ever deny you. Now here's what Peter did. In that meal, on the same night, the same night, he told Jesus, I don't want your love in action for me. I don't need your love in action for me. But here's what I'll give you, Jesus. I'll give you my love in action for you. And that night, Peter demonstrated something inside of him that's inside of you. That we all have this broken religion that we try to live by. Broken in the sense that, you know, religion sets our relationship with God. Peter, as he viewed his religion, he said, it's not about God loving me or love in action. It's all about me loving God and giving him some things. And, and that's the broken religion that Peter was working with. Now, let me ask you, how did it end up for Peter? He said, Lord, I will never, ever deny you. Never. I will die before I do that. What happened hours later? Not once, not twice, three times. He denied knowing Jesus. He called down curses on himself. I, I don't know the man. When, when love was in Peter's hands, the, the, the agape love to, to, 
to uh, give to Jesus, he realized something pretty quickly. His religion was broken. And it wasn't going to work. And, and so this was something that, that Peter had to carry around with himself for a while. He, he denied Jesus. And there's that time when Jesus was walking through the courtyard and you know, they exchanged glances. And Peter it says that he, at that point he knew what he had done. Now here's the awkward part. In, in John 21, this is the first time that Peter and Jesus get to sit down and look each other face to face. And Jesus says, we need to talk. Now if you're Peter... What's going to happen? The, the, the Lord, the, the rabbi that you denied three times came back to life and now he wants to talk. But it unfolds like this. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Uh, first of all, you remember uh, Jesus had changed Simon's name before? There was this encounter where he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And, and Simon said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, right on. That's a rock-solid answer. So I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is Peter. Peter is a Greek word that means rock. Simon, you're the rock. But he does not call Simon a rock here. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you have this kind of agape love where you're going to give me anything? You do anything for me? And what does, what does Peter have to answer? Jesus, I tried that religion. I tried giving you everything. I tried making a big promise, and you know what? I broke it within hours. So if you're going to ask me, do, do I have this love for you? The answer has got to be no. But that's not what Peter says. Jesus asks, do you, do you truly love me? Do you have this give anything for me kind of love? And Peter says, you know what, Lord? I love you. Philia love you. I know there's a relationship between us. I know we're together. I know we're, we're inseparable, but it's not because of the love and action that I gave to you. It's in spite of my love. We're good. Jesus says, if, if you love me, feed my lambs. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 16, Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? In case you didn't hear him the first time. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I, same answer, same Greek word, philia, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, before we go on, there's this thing about the, the Greek manuscripts as they were copying them down. You know, sometimes they would see a line and they would copy it and then they'd go back to that same line and they'd copy it again and so you get some repetition. And so at this point, you're thinking, maybe, maybe some scribes made a mistake that, you know, they're copying this line over and over again. But verse 17 says, no, that's not the case. This is the way it's really supposed to be. It's the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, Notice the change. Do you love me? Now, Jesus uses that word that, that Peter's been using, philia. Do you love me? Are we good? Are we connected? Are we a group? Are we family? Are things good between us? And maybe you're wondering, why is Jesus asking this a third time? As if it weren't awkward enough the way it was. And this isn't something Jesus explains or the Bible explains, but here's a very plausible answer to that. Why three times? Well, what did, what did Peter do in that courtyard three times? 
Three times he separated himself from Jesus. Three times he disconnected himself and said, I don't know the man. And now three times Jesus reestablishes their relationship. Do you love me? Are we good? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. But by this time, understandably, Peter is starting to get hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, he, he had some emphasis here, you know all things. You know what's in here. You know that I love you. You know that we're good. Not because of what I did for you, but because of what you did for me. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, we'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, there's something very important to understand what happened here. From John 13, where where Peter was all about loving God, to John 21, where Peter understands this is not on me at all, there was a monumental transformation for Peter. Knowing that Jesus was alive again transformed the way Peter saw his life and saw his relationship with God. And the first transformational thing that Peter understood was that even though he had denied Jesus, Jesus' love for him was undeniable. If you're keeping notes, a third fill-in here. The resurrection, Easter, it removes any doubt that God's love for deniers is undeniable. You could, you could put in any sin in the front, uh, first blank there. God's love for, for murderers, God's love for adulterers, God's love for whoever is undeniable because he lives. And because he comes back to the guy named Peter and he said, we're good. I love you, you love me, we're we're good. Not because of what you did for me. Not because you denied me. That doesn't make us good. But what I gave for you, I I washed you. Uh, This is a a transformation that you see in in Easter. And that's kind of where you have to start in your heart. How do you view religion? How do you view your relationship with God? Let it be Him loving you so that you can be with him. Uh, That's the way it transforms us. And and the second way we're going to see here, this is kind of the final thought in the application as as we look at the rest of Peter's story in a second. The the thing that Jesus does throughout this is Peter always says, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And then what does Jesus immediately say? He says, if you love me, then do this. In other words, If you truly love me, then consider what that means. Consider what it's going to look like. What might love require of you? And and the first thing for Peter, we saw it three times. Jesus said, if you love me, here's what love requires. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And, And Jesus is is saying basically, you know what, just as I have loved you, I want you to love in action others. Take care of those beneath you. And for Peter, that was very clear and very obvious. That meant doing what we see throughout the book of Acts. Read it this week. Uh, he goes out and he takes care of, of Jesus' sheep by, by, by sharing the message of Easter. Not as something informational, but something he knew near and dear. Something transformational. And that was the first part of, of what he did. And now the second part, we're going to finish this up in the last two verses. And if you've been sort of dozing off, this is going to make you audibly gasp 
at what Jesus is saying here because it's so unheard of and so unexpected. But as Jesus is wrapping things up with Peter, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And if he just left it at that, this would be some mystery comment. What in the world does this mean? But, but John, as he recorded these events, he understood something. Either immediately or, or, or sometime later, he, he remembered what Jesus said, and this made sense. Jesus said this, verse 19, to, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And maybe you know this. Tradition says that the way Peter died is they told him, look, you love Jesus so much? Well, here's what your love will require of you. You will be crucified, Peter. You'll be crucified on a cross just like Jesus was crucified on a cross. And and when Peter heard that, he said, no, no, (laughs) don't do that. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way he was. I'm not worthy. And so they crucified him upside down instead. Wow, for, for, for a guy like Peter to answer that question, what does love require of me? Came at a big, big, big cost. That's, that's a question God asked himself. What, what does love require of me? It required his only son to be given for you. What, what does love require of of me. Here's, here's where I want to leave you, maybe hanging a little bit, to, to think for yourself, what does love require of me? But take this with you. If it's true love, the love that God first showed to you in action, and now the love that you enjoy with Him in this relationship, if it's true love, then one thing is going to be undeniable. Our last fill in, number four. True love denies no opportunity to love. True love denies no opportunity to love. If, uh, for Peter, that was spending his life sharing a message that people hated him for. And, and in death, he had a form of death that gave glory to God. And this is the question I have to leave you with. I can't apply it for everybody in this room, but you have to ask yourself, who are, who, who, who are the sheep that God wants me to feed? Who are the people in my life that I can put my love into action for? As God has loved me, who is it that I can love? And then then here's the second part of it, and this is maybe something we don't talk about so often. We we often talk about giving glory to God with our lives, our words, our actions and stuff, but here's maybe the other part. Ask yourself, what might love require of me in my death? How might my death bring him glory? And if, if you're having growth group this week, that's a question you'll be uh, wrestling with. I hope you come up with some good answers. <laughs> what, I, what I've seen in my life is this. Sometimes we have these funerals for what we say are people who've lived a, a long and healthy life. You know, 80s, 90s, 100s, whatever. We say, wow, they had a great life. And, and at, the other time, at the other end, sometimes we say that some lives were cut short. You know, we have the funerals for very young people, and it kind of breaks our hearts. Here's what I've seen in both circumstances and everywhere in between. 
There are some unforgettable moments where God's glory is displayed through the death of a Christian. The question you need to wrestle with is, if I would die today, what, what does love require of me? How could he use my life and how could he use my death to let his love shine forth? And then you, you finish off with what Peter heard from Jesus. You're going to live for me. You're going to die for me. Now let's go. Follow me. It's time to go. And here's my prayer for you, that, that uh, th- throughout your life, maybe it's today, maybe it's next week, if, if you find yourself running short on that Easter joy and on that Easter transformation, that you, you now know where to find it. That you see the lives of these men, Peter, James, John, the, the apostles, you see all of them. You see their lives transformed from this event. And you know God does the same thing for you. The undeniable truth is that he's alive. The undeniable truth that he is changing you right now. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, you sent out Peter, you sent out your other apostles with this important news that you defeated death and that you rose from the grave. Much more than just getting information out, you knew that this was a message that would be transformational for all people who would hear it. And my simple prayer today is this, that the people listening to this message who maybe feel empty, who maybe are are searching for that joy and for that excitement, that, that they would not give up. That they wouldn't feel that they have done something wrong, that or that they have failed to love you as much as they should. That that was the mistake that Peter made. Rather, when we're finding ourselves empty and awkward and uncertain how to go forward, we go back to what you did. You didn't just feel love for us, but you acted on it. You gave your life. You washed us clean, and you brought us back to life through your empty tomb. I want that to be the joy of all the people listening today so that as they go forward in this world, they can see the transformations happen to your glory, both in their lives and someday even in their death. Keep us all firm in our faith in you until that day comes as as we also now join in the prayer, O Lord, that, that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.